Turn with me to Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6. I hope you have your Bible. I want to encourage you, if you're not in the habit of bringing your Bible, bring. This is the one place that you can bring your Bible and nobody will criticize you. Amen. Thank you, Debbie. Like, if you bring your Bible to IHOP, you might get some weird looks, but that's okay. Pancakes and Jesus always go together. Right? Anyway, turn. Some of you are like, please tell me this is a short message. You got my stomach growling by saying pancakes. Listen, turn with me to Galatians chapter 6 this morning, and I just want us to begin with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for the day. We thank you for the opportunity to be in your word this morning. God, thank you for the songs that we're able to sing of praise and truly how great you are. God, that saw fit to bear our burdens on the cross of Calvary. God, I pray that today as we look at your word that uh, we would be inspired, that we would be encouraged. God, that we would be challenged like never before. That on this Labor Day weekend we might repurpose in our hearts and in our minds to take your word not only understanding it, but applying it to our very lives. God, we thank you for the victories of this past week. God, we do ask your continual uh, presence and provision on the families that have been affected by this horrific uh, situation in Midland and Odessa, even yesterday. And God, as we've already mentioned, that you would protect us from this uh, storm that rages in the sea. Certainly, we understand that the winds and the waves are at your beck and call and obey exactly what you tell them to do. And so, Father, we need your strength. We need your provision in this matter. God, I pray that you'll bless your word as it goes forth and that it'll fall upon the good soil of our hearts and we'll be careful to give you the praise for it. And we ask this in the precious name of Jesus, our Savior, and for his sake, amen and amen. You know, the story has often been told uh, about a message that the founder of the Salvation Army shared with uh, uh, the delegates of the Salvation Army years and years ago. They were having the International Conference of the Salvation Army, and it was General William Booth who was sick at that time. And General Booth sent the message to all the delegates all around the world of the Salvation Army, and his message contained one word and one word only. That word was others. That was his message to the delegates back then. He said others. He wanted them to understand and to be concerned with others. I remember the popular comic strip that was turned into some TV specials, uh, Charlie Brown. We've all watched Charlie Brown and the the Peanut Gang. And uh, I remember one time Lucy was asking Charlie Brown, she said, what is our purpose here on earth? Charlie looked back at Lucy and he said, our purpose is to make others happy. Lucy, without missing a beat, she contemplated that for a few seconds and she said, well then what is their purpose to us? You see folks, when we look at God's word, it's clear to me that others plays a significant role in you and I's journey of faith. In fact, The Apostle Paul, uh, writing to the church at Philippi, he put it this way in Philippians 2 and verse 3 and 4. He said, let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. In other words, what he said right there, let's go back to verse 3. What he said right there, each esteem other better than themselves. He was saying, put others first. 
Go on to verse 4. Verse 4 says, Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Truly, one another is a key phrase in the Christian vocabulary. Listen, if we're going to serve God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind and strength, then you and I, there's no question that we're going to be serving one another. And, and the sad thing is sometimes that, that really causes a lot of consternation in our lives. We look to the left and to the right and, and we can talk about whether we like that person or we don't like that person, but the reality is that, remember, Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments. And then he also said, hey, I'm giving you a new commandment that you love one another, even back in John chapter 13. And so on and on, as I look at the New Testament, it is clear to me that God's Word is trying to communicate to you and I, and sometimes I think it just goes right beyond us, trying to communicate to you and I that our journey of faith should be one that not only seeks to love and to serve God, but our journey is one that really we're to love and to serve one another. In fact, do you know that the phrase uh, love one another appears more than a dozen times in the New Testament alone? along with many other teachings. Uh, in fact, guys, if you can show up, I, I made a slide, the one another sayings of the New Testament. Notice, just very quickly, and this is not an exhaustive study, and I'm sure there's other places, but notice we're to pray for one another, edify one another, prefer one another, use hospitality to one another, be kind one to another, forgive one another, forbear one another, admonish one another, comfort one another, exhort one another, consider one another, speak, here's a big one, speak not evil one of another, have compassion one of another, be subject one to another, and the last one, serve one another. It's clear to me, if you spend, you could, you could actually spend probably six months studying out these phrases. You say, well, I'm looking for a Bible study. There it is right there, the one another sayings of the New Testament. Truly, truly, our passage that we're looking at this morning in Galatians chapter 6, God's word is, is instructing you and I He's teaching us, Paul is saying to these believers at Galatia and by association, you and I, he's talking about our role as spirit-filled, as spirit-led Christians in the lives of others. And so look with me at Galatians chapter 6. And uh, by the way, we have to remind ourselves that here from chapter 4 on, Paul has switched, Paul has switched uh, gears he's moved away from gospel theology remember I said this a few weeks ago he's moved away from gospel theology and he's actually talking about gospel living now see we could it's important that we know what God's Word says but it's also important that we actually put it to practice in our life that we actually do what God's Word says and so we're talking about this and again it's very crucial for you and I to understand uh, and apply, the, realize the changes of verb, uh, text, verb tense, excuse me, not text, but the verb tense and usages in, in Scripture. And, and we've already learned, remember this, we've already learned from our study early on that you and I, being forgiven, that we have received our forgiveness and our salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in who alone? In Christ alone. And so I'm not talking about that we have to do anything. Jesus said it is finished. He did it all. Really, we just trust him by faith. 
But now we've moved into this gospel living scenario where the verb tenses are, have become imperatives. And an imperative is actually, it's something that kids don't like. When, when our boys were younger and we gave them an imperative, it was, it was a command, it was a non-negotiable. It was like, hey, you're going to clean your room one way or another, right? And so that's okay if you're a mom and dad. It's not okay sometimes. It, it, it rubs us a little bit raw when we understand that God is giving the imperative to us through his word. Last week we were reminded about the fruit that is produced by the Holy Spirit of God in our lives versus the works of the flesh, right? We looked at the, the whole list of the works of flesh, and really if you looked at that whole list, what we understood was that the bottom line is the work, works of the flesh produce sin. But the fruit of the Spirit, remember, notice what it says in verse 22 and 23 of chapter 5. But the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and long-suffering and gentleness and goodness and faith. And it goes on, meekness and temperance against such there is no law. And so this morning in our text, chapter 6, we're going to see what happens, not only to us, but how you and I respond towards others as we live in the Spirit. Look at verse 25 of chapter 5. I didn't give it to you guys, but look at it. It says in 25 of chapter 5, it says, If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Now, outside of that text, in my Bible, I have written these words. means to keep in step with the Spirit. That means not to run ahead of the Spirit, like thinking we're God and we're going to make the decisions on our own. It means to keep in step with the Spirit. As the Spirit is filling us and leading us, oh, that's how we're to live. And so let's look at the ministries that Paul is teaching us and reminding us. He's, he's telling these believers, remember, he was a little concerned because he says, I marvel that you're so far removed, that you're so soon removed from this gospel message that you were given and listening to these false teachers. And now here in chapter 6, he's telling them about the ministries that they have as individuals who are walking according to the Spirit of God. And let's notice in verse number 1, if you're a note taker, I'm going to give you these ministries right away. Number 1, Paul's talking about the ministry of restoring. The ministry of restoring. Look at verse number 1. He says, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault... Ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest, also, lest thou also be tempted. And so any of us can be overcome, right? Anyone. In fact, look at the word man. The word man there in verse number one is the Greek word anthropos. That's where we get the study of anthropology or the study of mankind or humankind. So that means, ladies, you're included, Right? I love, I love sometimes women look at scripture and say, oh sure, a man's always overtaken in a fault. That's why I have to correct him. Uh, I got news for you. This includes you too, ladies, right? It's like ladies say, no, that's talking about him, right? He needs help. And by the way, we're in trouble. If we read scripture and we're always thinking of somebody else, we're in trouble, right? We like read the scripture and we're like thinking, oh yeah, pastor, go get him. Go get him. Sick my husband. Uh, uh, talk to my child today, Pastor. I hope you say something that my daughter or my son will hear and, and they will change their ways. Listen, if we're listening to Scripture and we're immediately thinking of someone else, we're already in trouble, right? So look, we got this ministry of restoring. And so the reality is sin is a slippery slope, is it? Anybody ever, anybody ever found out that sin is a slippery slope? Uh, if you're not careful, you'll get stuck. Sin is a little bit like quicksand. 
Anybody ever seen quicksand? Quicksand, you, you go ahead and think you're going to play with quicksand. Like, you're like, well, let me just touch it. Before you know it, you're screaming for help because it pulls you in. See, that's the, that's the danger of sin in our life. It's slippery. It's like quicksand. And even though the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews 12, chapter, uh, chapter 12 and verse number 1 tells us to lay aside every weight in the sin which easily besets us, sometimes it seems like, and I don't know if this is true in your life, but it seems sometimes the harder we try, the tougher we fight against sin, it seems to pull at us even the more, Right? And so verse 1 is saying that we have a ministry of restoration. The word overtaken actually means to be taken beforehand or by surprise. Now, you say, well, there it is. I didn't do it on purpose. <laughs> right? It's, it caught me by surprise. And here's the reality. Sin may sneak up on some. Right? Some people, you know, sin sneaks up on us. But I believe that most people that get caught, so, so to speak, get caught in the quicksand of sin, do so because they believe they're able to dabble. Like I'm a, you know, it's like uh, uh, Frank, uh, like uh, Billy Graham once said, the problem with uh, modern day Christianity is we walk this fence. Now someone's going to get nervous. <laughs> we walk this fence. Now you see how nerve wracking that is for me to walk the edge like that. But isn't that what we do with sin? We walk with one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom of God. That's why sin is so dangerous. And, and so there is times in our lives where people are caught by the, the surprise of sin. You know, like, oh, I'm overtaken. I, I, I thought I would just dabble for a little bit. I just, wanted, I just wanted to taste test. Sin is dangerous. That's why Paul says to the church at Galatia, you have a, a ministry of restoring such a one that is overtaken in a fault. Listen, if we're not careful, sin becomes something of that yoke. Remember, in Galatians 5.1, the Bible says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Now, he's talking about the false teaching of the Judaizers, but sin works the same way. Sometimes we allow sin to become this yoke that we place upon our shoulders. And, and Romans 6 says, in Romans 6, verse number 16, it talks about the fact that whoever you and I yield ourselves to, that's who we serve. That's we become servants, whether it be unto, uh, of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. And that's in Romans chapter 6, verse 16. In fact, 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13, starts out by saying, There hath no temptation taken you, but such is common to man. Listen, no one is immune to sin in this room. If you, and, and the Bible actually says something to each and every one of us here in a second about uh, uh, understanding and you know, thinking that we're something when we're not. And so we have to be careful with this. But the, the greater principle here in verse number one is that you and I have a responsibility to restore such a one that's overtaken in a fault. But let's be honest, what's our typical response? Hello, what's our typical response when somebody we know is overtaken in a fault? Sometimes we ignore the person. Sometimes we isolate the person, criticize the person, condemn the person as if we're so holy and righteous ourselves. There have been times that I have seen people shame the person for their sin. 
by the way, this happens in ministry. You ever heard of a pastor that sins and then not only does the church condemn the pastor, but other pastors are condemning that pastor as if they're holier than thou. Oh, we have to be careful. We're to restore such a one in a spirit of meekness. Uh, I've even seen times where people spread rumors and slander people because of their sin. But God's word is telling us that we're to restore them. And there's a right way and a wrong way to restore somebody. Notice in verse 1, the Greek word for the word restore there in verse 1 of our text means, watch this, to mend as a net. Mend as a net or to set right like a doctor sets a broken bone. And it even alludes to this, to cutting out some type of a growth out of the body. This is what it means to restore. It means that you and I are to mend somebody. We're to set the broken bone. We're to help carve out something out of somebody's life if it needs to be cut out. The ministry of restoration is crucial as believers. Every one of us have this ministry because the life of a dear brother or sister is at stake. If we condemn one another, if we criticize one another, if we beat one another down, and then we turn around and we say, whatever happened to, whatever happened to such and such? Oh, man, I think a lot of harm has come to many a family and many a believers by the fact that we don't take this ministry of restoration really seriously. You know, I taught the young marriage class here before I went to Bible college. And at the time I taught the young marriage class, those who are still here that were in the class understand that was a big class. We met in the gymnasium. We started with nothing. And I think by the time, I think at one point we had over 60 people in that class in the gymnasium. And I remember a couple coming to me right before Krista and I left for Bible class. And I remember a couple coming to, to me and telling me they were leaving Battlefield. And I said, why are you leaving Battlefield? What's the biblical reason you're leaving Battlefield? By the way, people come and people go. But I can guarantee you a lot of times when they come and go, they're not leaving because of a biblical reason. They're leaving because of a personal reason. Right? And this couple literally told me, they said, well, we're leaving because my husband doesn't like what his wife said. And your response is my response. I said, what? I said, you're telling me you're leaving the family of God. You're going to walk away from this church because your husband is angry with what this person's wife said. Yes, that's, that's why he says we're leaving. He just can't stand to be around uh, her any longer. And I said, that's a real biblical reason for leaving. Can I tell you that that family is still not at Battlefield? They're still in the area. I've since tried to, I've reconnected with them over, over the time and whatnot. Praise the Lord, they are at least worshiping in a church, right? But here's the thing, when we don't seek to restore one another, when we don't seek to lift one another up, bad things happen. Listen, before I forget this, look at verse 1 real quick, because the first and second point are my longest, but I want you to look at verse 1. I want you to ask yourself the question, who does verse 1 say that should deal with those who are overtaken in a fault? Those who are who? Notice it says, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of what? Meekness. That word meekness there means gentleness. So the question becomes, how do we know those who are spiritual? If it says, ye who are spiritual, restore such a one, here's what we do. We say, well, I, I've been, I'm not very spiritual, so I don't have to restore anybody. 
That's what we do. We, we kind of take ourselves off the chop block. We're like, well, I don't have to serve in that way because I'm not very spiritual. That's not the goal, to take yourself off. Listen, our desire should be to restore those who need restoration. Look, notice, the spirit of rejection, the spirit of condemnation, the spirit of destruction is not what Scripture is teaching, but a restoration process that flows from that fruit that is produced in our lives by the Holy Spirit of God. Oh, listen, we ought to seek to restore somebody. I always say it this way. How would you want to be restored? If you were the one overtaken by a fault, how would you want to be restored? Do you think it's fun being slandered, criticized, condemned, and everything? No. We would want to restore someone the same way we would want them to restore us. In fact, isn't that what the golden rule says? In Luke chapter 6, verse 31, the Bible, Jesus says, And as ye would that men should do unto you, do ye also unto them likewise. In other words, do unto them how you want them to do to you. Right? And so that's the ministry of restoration. Look at number two, verse number two. The Bible says, Bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. We not only have a ministry of restoration, we have a ministry of bearing. We have a ministry of bearing. I was reading in our Sunday school class this morning in Matthew chapter 20. You know how the, uh, the mother of Zebedee's children and, and her boys come to Jesus and she's asking Jesus, I want one boy to sit on your left, I want one boy to sit on your right. And, and Jesus says, oh my goodness, you don't even know what you're asking. When you get further in the text, this is what he says in verse number 25 of Matthew 20. It says, but Jesus called them unto him and said, you know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them. And that they are great, and they that are great exercise authority upon them. But verse 26, notice what he says. But it shall not be so among you. But whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. And whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life as a ransom for many. Folks. If you don't know this already, Jesus sacrificed his life for you and for me. He actually, pour, literally, allowed God to pull, pour his full cup of wrath out on his life. He died on the cross for you and I. He bore the sins of humankind for humankind. Now, you and I cannot bear the sins of one another. It's not like... You know, Francis, you sin, and then all of a sudden I'm going to say, well, I'll take the punishment for Francis' sin. That's not how it works. But when we bear one another's burdens, we come alongside. We lift one another up. And what does it look like? We can be compassionate to one another. We can encourage one another. I don't see a lot of encouragement these days. We can pray for and with one another. Some of the things that we showed in that opening slide. We can forgive one another. Maybe the overtaking and a fault, maybe there's some sin towards you in the situation. You can forgive the person. We can sympathize or empathize with one another. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 12 to rejoice with them that rejoice and to weep with those who weep. Look at, look at this verse. Guys, show Romans 15, verse 1. I love this verse. It says, we then that are strong. Notice what it says. If you think you're strong, we then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak 
and not to please ourselves. That word bear means to lift up, to bear away, to endure patiently the infirmities of the weak. Listen, we bear one another's burdens when we sympathize, when we exercise compassion for our brothers and sisters in Christ. And by the way, we do it as if it's us going through the situation. Remember, restore such a one in a spirit of meekness, considering your own self, lest thou also be tempted. Bear you one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. The law of Christ we talked about over and over is the law of love. Everything Jesus did, he did for the benefit of others. And so that's how we ought to exercise our, our Christianity. Look at verse number 3 of our text. Here's where says, if a man think himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. Now what you need to know is the word deception is found in verse number 3, but it's also found in verse number 7, but for different reasons. In verse number 3, uh, the reality is that our adversary loves to deceive, but let's be honest, sometimes we deceive ourselves. Have you ever deceived yourself? That's what, that's what this verse is saying. If you think you're something when you're really nothing, you deceive yourself. That's why you need to bear one another's burdens and encourage one another. Because there's going to come a time when you need someone to bear your burdens. Oh, there's a danger in thinking that we have arrived. Last week I was talking to you about the danger of getting our spiritual halos on a little too tight. That's when we think that, uh, well, not only think, we actually believe that we're better than somebody else. We get our halo on and we walk around and we get this, eye, this feeling of super spirituality like, huh, I'm above that. I would never be overtaken in a fault like such and such. Mm, mm, mm. Oh, be careful. Be careful, little tongue, what you say. For the Father up above is looking down in love. So we need to be careful what we say. Listen, humility is the key. Say humility. That's, that's really a key to this passage, right? If we're going to restore and bear one another's burdens, there can be absolutely no place in our life of a feeling of superiority or feeling like we're spiritually better than anyone else. In fact, I was preaching Wednesday night uh, for the opening night of revival down at First Baptist Church in downtown Warrington, and I was reminded that the Laodicean church thought they were something, right? In Revelation chapter 3 and verse 17, look at this verse. They, they said, look... Uh, we're rich, we're increased with goods, we don't have any need of anything. They thought they, were, they thought they were up here. But notice what Jesus says. He says, you don't even know, but you're wretched. He says, you're wretched, you're miserable, you're poor, you're blind, and you're naked. We, we have to be careful not to deceive ourselves into thinking that we're better than those that we're seeking to lift up. See, that's the danger. It's like we see somebody coming to the altar, by the way, I don't know why people don't come and pray. There's nothing wrong with this bench, right? There's nothing wrong with it. It's very sturdy. It's beautiful. It's got carpet on it, so it's not going to hurt your knees or anything like that. But people don't come and pray at the altar because they think it's a place of embarrassment. But it's actually a place of acknowledgement. The altar is a place where we come and we say to God, you say, well, that's, uh, now we're getting into religiosity. No, we're getting into a discussion about humility. It says, God, I know I'm a sinner. And I'm sorry for my sins. God, I need you to work in my life. Or maybe, just maybe, we come and we say, God, thank you. Thank you for protecting my family. 
Thank you for watching out over us in the midst of this storm that's getting ready to come up the coast. God, thank you for blessing my family that's in the Keys and, and the storm looks like it's going to miss them. Thank you for watching over them. Whatever it is, we can use the altar as a place of acknowledgement. And it's all about humility. See, when we get our halos on too tight, verse 3 says, when we think ourselves to be something when we're nothing, we deceive ourselves. Oh, we have a ministry of restoring and bearing one another's burdens. Roman, or Proverbs 16, 8, excuse me, Proverbs 16, 18 reminds us that pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Oh, be careful, be careful. Verse 4 and 5 of our text, move on quickly. It says, but let every man prove his own work and then he shall have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. For every man shall bear his own burden. The point of verse number 4 where it says, but let every man prove his own work. The point there is that you and I need to measure ourselves against God's word, not one another. See, what we do is if we're not careful, we say, well, I'm not so bad because look at her. Look at all the sins she's overtaken in. Look at all the things that he does wrong. Look at what this one says and how this one acts. And I don't do those things, so I'm really pretty good in God's eyes. Can I tell you something? With all the love in my heart, pretty good doesn't get us to heaven. That's what a lot of people do. A lot of people say, well, I'm pretty good. I didn't say anything bad. I didn't steal anything. I didn't shoot anybody. I didn't, I, did, I, I, I didn't do anything really that bad. The Bible says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Pretty good isn't good enough. We have to live our lives according to God's word, not our thoughts and not our ways. See, so many people like to play the comparison game, don't we? But Lamentations chapter 3 and verse number 40 the Bible says, let us search and try our ways and then turn again to the Lord. Oh, listen, when the Holy Spirit is filling and leading our lives, we'll understand that you and I, we're personally responsible to the Lord for our own burdens and our own behaviors. Romans 14, 12 says, so then every one of us should give an account of himself unto God. 2 Corinthians 5, 10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things that done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Oh, we have the ministry of restoring. We have the ministry of bearing. Number three, we have the ministry of sharing. Now, this, one, this one's probably going to rub your fur a little bit wrong because a lot of us never read verse number six. But notice what it says. It says, let him that is taught in the word communicate unto him that teacheth in all good things. Now, here's where Paul makes a transition in the text. And this verse actually is dealing with the relationship between those who teach and preach the Word of God and those who receive the teachings and preachings of the Word of God. And you say, hmm, seems a little self-serving that you're going to tell us about this verse right now. It's God's Word. It's not my Word. You see, while it may seem a little bit self-serving for any communicator of the gospel to point this out, the point that Paul is making to these believers in Galatia and to you and I is that the person who's learning God's word has a responsibility to the person teaching God's word just like the person who's teaching God's word has a responsibility to the one learning God's word. It's a two-way responsibility street. And you say, well, what's the responsibility? Look at the verse. It says, let him that is taught in the word communicate... Right? 
to communicate unto him that teacheth in all good things. Now, the idea is, what's, what, what is the responsibility to communicate all good things? So, what does the word communicate mean? Here it is. In the Greek, it means this, to share with others, to distribute, or to be a partaker. So, how is the learner to share in the ministry of the teacher or preacher? Thought you'd never ask. By being present. You don't share or communicate in all good things if you're not here to hear the word of God. So Paul is saying by being present, by being attentive and learning, by passing on the lessons that you learn, mom and dad to your kids, grandpa and grandma to your kids and grandkids, to your neighbors, to your loved ones, to your friends, to your co-workers. This is part of the responsibility. By participating in the full ministry of the teacher. By supporting the ministry. Yes, that includes supporting the local ministry financially. By encouraging others to come and to learn as well. And so the follow-up question that many ask is, why should believers share or distribute good to their teachers? Paul answers the question in the very next verse. Look, look at it. It's where he begins to talk about the ministry of sowing. See, we've done a disservice to verses 7, 8, and 9 over the years. Now the principle's there, and we can use the principle to teach other things in Scripture. But what Paul is talking about in verse number 7 and following is based on what he says in verse number 6. You have a ministry of sharing, and then in verse 7 and following, he talks about the ministry of sowing. And so, why is it important that we share and distribute good with, uh, uh, to the teachers? Well, number one, because it's easy to be de de uh, deceived. Why do I have the ministry of sharing and now the ministry of sowing? Because it's easy to be deceived. Who's Paul writing to? He's writing to those Galatian believers who had been led astray by these false teachers. And so he's saying to them, be not deceived, God's not mocked. Whatever you sow, that year also shall you reap. There in verse number 7, and he goes on. He's saying, listen, you have a ministry of sharing, and if you're going to spend all your time sowing to the flesh... Of the flesh, you're going to reap corruption. But you need to sow to the Spirit what's profitable for your spirit. You need to be attentive to God's Word. You need to be listening to God's Word. You need to be hearing it. You need to be uh, involved in the ministry. And if you're not, you're actually sowing to your flesh things that are going to reap destruction in your life. And so, notice, it's easy to be deceived, and it, here's the point. Whatever we sow, we actually reap. Anybody ever had that principle work out in your life? The Bible says in verse 7 and following, Be not deceived, God is not mocked, for whatever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth to the Spirit, of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Instead of sharing the ministry of Paul, some of those people in Galatia were becoming critics. They were like, oh, we believe that you're wrong, Paul. You're not teaching us the whole gospel. We have to be circumcised. We have to follow the rituals, the rules, and the regulations of man to be saved. And Paul says, are you kidding me? I can't believe that you're so soon moved from this gospel unto another gospel, which is not the gospel at all. And so everything's predicated on this false teaching. That's why he wrote to the church. And so when we sow to the flesh, Paul's saying, hey, you're not sowing things that are going to benefit your spirit. You're sowing things that are counterproductive. And by the way, in Galatians chapter 1, verse number 1, the very first verse, for these people who were criticizing Paul, Paul says, Paul, an apostle, 
not of men, neither by men, but by Jesus Christ, right? By Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Paul is declaring at the outset that his apostleship and his leadership to the church was not something that was given to him of men, but it was given to him by God. So instead of sowing through the Spirit, through the ministry of sharing, many in Galatia had gotten caught up in the attacks on Paul and his ministry. Paul was telling them that God will not be mocked when they turn up their nose to God's word, when they turn up their nose to God's teacher, he says, You're, God's not going to be mocked. You start sowing to the flesh things that aren't benefiting your journey of faith, your walk with the Spirit, it's counterproductive. Well, listen, here's the point that's been missed for years and years on this idea of sowing and reaping. The point is this, if we sow a life that's not present when the word of God is taught, if we sow a life that's not attentive or learning what God is teaching, if we sow a life that doesn't pass on the lessons, if we sow a life that never participates in the ministry of the Lord, if we sow a life that is not encouraging uh, to others to come and listen to the teaching of God's word, then the question becomes, what do we expect to reap? That's what Paul is talking about. We love to use this verse and these verses out of context. And we like to apply the principle to other aspects of our life. But what Paul is teaching is this right here. Listen, one of the most remarkable passages of Scripture provides us with an immutable, immutable law. The idea of an immutable law is, means it's indisputable. It's undisputable. It cannot be disputed. If I sow corn, <laughs> I'm not a farmer or a horticulturist, but if I sow corn... I'm not going to reap grapes. If I sow wheat, chances are, if the Lord blesses, it's going to grow wheat. If I sow sin, guess what it's going to reap? Paul says if we sow to the flesh, we're going to, of the flesh, reap corruption. But if we sow to the Spirit, oh listen, the Bible tells us to be steadfast. In 1 Corinthians 15, 58, it says, Be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. 2 Timothy 3, 14, But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned, and hast been assured of knowing of whom thou hast learned them. Oh, Scripture is consistent. We need to be uh, understanding our ministry of restoring, our ministry of bearing, our ministry of sharing and sowing. And then lastly, look at verse number 10. We have a ministry of caring. Oh, how incredibly important this ministry is, a ministry of caring for one another. It says, as we therefore have opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. Here's what I know in my little pea-sized brain. Opportunity comes and opportunity goes. The opportunity that you and I are presented with today may never come again tomorrow. That's the reality. And so you and I, Paul is telling these believers at Galatia and us, we have to be sensitive to the needs of others. Maybe you know someone and you see them today and they don't look like themselves. They seem a little bit off. You're like, well, I wonder what's going on with such and such. A lot of times what we do is it's like right here, right? We think about it and then we let it go. It takes two minutes to call and say, you seemed a little bit off. Something seemed not right. What's going on? How can I pray for you? 
Is there anything that I can do for you to be an encouragement to you? That's the ministry of caring. The ministry of being sensitive. And sometimes, even as I said in our Sunday school class, being spontaneous enough to actually serve one another. Paul is telling us that there should be no chance for you and I to care for one another that we let slip by. That we should minister one to another. You and I are truly called to be the first responders to all men. And that means unbelievers as well. All men. We're to be first responders. Notice verse 6. It says, as we therefore, as we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto, what's the first phrase? All men. But especially unto them that are of the house of faith. So not only those that are saved, but God's word actually says you and I are especially to be doing good to those within the family of God. That means everybody sitting around here that knows Jesus Christ as their Savior. Those that are on vacation. Those that have slipped into the deep abyss of summertime. You're like, I wonder where such and such is. Have you called them and asked them? I wonder whatever happened to. Have you, have you called and said, I miss you. I don't know what's going on with you. Man, what, is, there, is there some biblical reason you're not here? Is there something we can pray for you about? Listen, we have a ministry of caring. We're responsible to care for the spiritual needs of our own family, dads, moms. But we're also to care for the spiritual needs of our church family and others as well, all men. Luke chapter 6 says this, love your enemies and do good and lend. This is Jesus speaking, hoping for nothing again. And your reward shall be great and you shall be the children of the highest. Notice the last phrase there, I highlighted in mine, for he, speaking of Jesus, he is kind unto the unthankful and to the evil. Any, anybody know any evil people? Like, I don't, want, I don't want to tell you, but I, I didn't want to raise my hand, but yes, I know some evil people. Does anybody, let's take it down a notch, does anybody know some unthankful people? The Bible says we're to be kind to the unthankful person. We're to be kind to the evil person. Hebrews 13, 16 says, But to do good and to communicate, forget not, for which such, with such sacrifices God is well pleased. James 4, 17, verse that many of you from Battlefield have heard over the years. Therefore to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. If you know that you have an opportunity to care for somebody and you just keep on saying, forget it, I'm not doing anything. I'm not going to serve them. I'm not going to restore that person. I'm not going to bear a burden with that person. In fact, I'm not going to share. I'm not going to care. I'm not going to sow. I'm not worried about all this. This is, this is a bunch of junk. I'm not going to do it. Well, guess what? You just made a choice. You made a choice not to disobey the pastor. You made a choice to disobey what God's word says. So it's much more severe than just saying, well, I don't want to hear what you have to say today, Pastor, because I'm not involved in the ministry of restoring and bearing and sharing and sowing and caring, and I don't want to be a part of that, and so I'm just going to check out. At the end of the day, it really is not hurting my feelings, but it does hurt the feelings of God, who has given you life abundantly and said, now go out and show the world that you are my disciples by loving one another. And loving one another involves all of these. But I can tell you, look at the last verse of our text. It says, as we therefore have opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially them who are of the household of faith. But I want you to glance up at the verse right before it. Because here's the truth. It says, and be, weary, and, and be not weary in well-doing. It's easy to get weary, isn't it? <laughs> 
Anybody ever gotten weary trying to serve somebody, trying to bear one another, trying to care for somebody and, and share and do all these things, and we get weary, and we're like, oh, my gosh, this person is unbelievable. I do, and 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 they just don't get it. You know what God's word says? Be not weary in well-doing. In other words, just keep on doing it. Because guess what? You may be the only Bible that somebody ever reads. And so we have a ministry that we've been given to care for one another. Truly, there's times when we get tired. We feel knocked down and burned out. You know, we have some people that have taught Sunday school here for eons and eons and eons and never gotten a break. It's easy to get weary and to be tired and to be worn down. There are times when our mind gets timid. You know what that feels like. It's when we tell ourselves, I can't do this. I can't keep up this pace. I just can't. I'm getting older. I, uh, I'm getting younger, whatever it is, right? Did we ever get younger? I don't know. Sometimes I feel younger in my mind. Oh, there are times when our spirit gets tested and tried. We get distracted with the desires of this world versus the needs that we have. But let me encourage you this morning. Remember, we have a purpose. We have a purpose as Christ followers. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. Our purpose is to glorify God in everything we think, say, or do. Remember, not only we have a purpose, we have a responsibility as Christ followers to obey God's word. You think about the apostle uh, Peter. They were there in Acts chapter 5, and he talked about this. He said, he says, we ought to obey God rather than men. They were trying to get him to stop preaching the gospel. And he says, I have a, I have a purpose. I have a responsibility. I, I'm supposed to glorify God. I know I'm to glorify God, and my responsibility is to obey him rather than obey you. Remember our opportunities as Christ followers. The Bible says, moreover, is required in stewards that a man be found faithful in 1 Corinthians 4, 2. Listen, we're, we're to be found faithful, but we're also to be found serving. It was Joshua. It was Joshua in Joshua 24. He said these words, And if it seem unto you evil to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your father served, which were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye now dwell. But as for me and my house, he said, we're going to serve the Lord. He didn't say it was easy. He just said, I understand that I have a purpose. I have a responsibility, but I have a wonderful opportunity. And guys, that's what Paul is saying to us as believers today. We have a wonderful opportunity. God allows us, check it out, he allows us to be involved in the ministry of restoring. He doesn't need us, but he allows us to do that. He allows us to be able to bear others' burdens. And the Bible says when we do that, we fulfill the law of Christ. He allows us to have a ministry of sharing, not just with me. What about your Sunday school teacher? How about communicating all good things with your Sunday school teacher, your Awana leaders, our upward coaches, and all the people who serve the Lord? Oh, we have an opportunity to share. And then we have to be very careful about this next one. Oh, God's given us a wonderful opportunity to sow and to reap some beautiful things. We have to be careful that we're not deceiving ourselves because God will not be mocked, right? And then the last thing, how amazing is it that God says, hey, I want to use you to care for other people. 
because you're a conduit of my grace, you're a conduit of the truth that I've given you, you are now prepared as you're filled with the Spirit and led by the Spirit, you're now qualified, if you please, lightly, to go and care for other people. What an amazing God we serve. How great is our God that He would allow us to do these things. We've been incredibly blessed, and so I encourage you, if you know you're incredibly blessed, use that blessing to be a blessing to someone else. We serve God by serving one another. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the time that we've had today to not only read your word, but to heed it. And God, I pray that we'll make it a part of our lives. God, certainly there are probably those in the room who need restoring at this very moment. There's probably people listening online who need to be restored. God, I pray that we would open up our eyes to those needs. And that as your word, those who are spiritual would restore such a one in a spirit of meekness, gentleness. Not being uh, uh, with the spirit of condemnation or hate or disappointment, but God, that we would lift one another up. God, that we would encourage one another. We would bear one another's burdens. God, I pray that we would all purpose in our heart to sow that ministry of sharing, that we would share with our teachers and preachers as learners of your word, that we would make a commitment to be attentive, to be in our place, to be a part of the ministry, which means to be serving in some capacity, to be a part of supporting the ministry. God, to be an encouragement and challenging other peoples to come and hear the word. God, that we would be men and women that would be mindful to sow those things that bring you the most honor and the most glory. God, help us to love one another, to care for one another as you have cared for us by sending your son to die on the cross for our sins. God, we love you. We thank you for the opportunity we've had to hear your word. God, I pray now that we'll apply it to our very lives. God, we pray that you receive the honor for it. And we pray this in Jesus' precious name and for his sake. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like more information about our ministry, check out our website at battlefieldbaptist.org or follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We'll see you next time.